Hey, this is Todd and Julie Mullen, senior pastors here at Christ Fellowship Church in South Florida. Whether you're across the street or across the world, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to join for this message. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you to get more out of life. I want to welcome everybody joining us across all of our campus locations today. And I am super excited because I get to talk about one of my favorite things. Jesus. (laughs) This question, who is this man? I would argue, specifically in relation to Jesus, is the most important question that any of us could ever possibly consider. This one man has received more adoration, more criticism, more devotion, more opposition than any other figure in all of human history. His every single word and deed to a level like no one else has been scrutinized and studied and compared and dissected. This one life impacts every person on planet earth. In the words of James Allen Francis, he said this, he's talking about Jesus. He said, he never wrote a book, never held an office, never owned a home, never started a family, He never went to college. He never even traveled more than 200 miles from the place that he was born. He never did a single one of the things that usually accompany greatness. 19 wide centuries have come and gone, and today he is still the center of the human race. He said this, it is far within the mark to say that all the armies that have ever marched and all the navies that were ever built and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned, when all put together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth so powerfully as this one solitary life. I don't know what you think about Jesus, but the reality is that his life, whether you believe that he is God or not, his life changes everything. So who is this man? Well, If you were to turn where most people get their answers from, let's say you open up your computer and you flip open, you know, the Google. If you were to type in this question, who is Jesus? And hit enter or search, you would get back over 2 billion results, right? Like I can't even count those zeros. Over 2 billion with a B results. And among those results, as you would imagine, you will get everything that you could possibly think of, right? People have come to all kinds of conclusions about who Jesus is. And with all of these answers out there, with all of these results out there, what's infinitely more important than that is that you and I must make a personal decision about who we believe Jesus to be. Now, with all of these results, there are a few things that must be said. Number one, They can't all be right. (laughs) Now that probably goes without saying, but all two billion results cannot possibly be right. In fact, one of the only truths that can be distilled from this myriad of results is that all two billion of them cannot be correct. Because to claim one thing about Jesus often is to simultaneously claim something else about Jesus. If I say that something is true about him, then by very nature of what I'm saying, I'm also saying something must be false about him. So if I say, as an example, that Jesus is love, he cannot also simultaneously be hate. If I say that Jesus is perfect, He can't simultaneously be imperfect. So these are truth claims and we need to understand what is true, what is right, what is accurate. So all of these opinions cannot possibly 
be valid. But perhaps more importantly, we must also establish they can't all be wrong. They cannot all be wrong. It is worth saying that the simple fact that all of these results exist doesn't mean that the truth about Jesus cannot be known. Just because different people have different opinions about him doesn't mean that it is not possible for us to understand truly who this man is and what it means for our lives. Everybody's got an opinion about Jesus. But who do you say that he is? There was a research study that was done in 2020 and of all the people surveyed, this was the most popular opinion about Jesus. 52% of Americans surveyed, by the way, said this, that Jesus is a great moral teacher, but he is not God. 52% of Americans would claim that Jesus is a great moral teacher, but he is not God. Now, it's important that we understand who he is. And, and this is not a new argument, right? This is actually something people have said for a very long time, that Jesus is a great moral teacher, but he is not God. One of my favorite authors C.S. Lewis spoke to this exact idea. And here's what he said, and I wanna read it to you today. He actually argues that's the one thing about Jesus that we must not say, that he's a great teacher, but he is not God. Because a man who was merely a man said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, which is amazing, or else he would be the devil of hell himself. You must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, is and was the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. I just find it interesting that one of the most popular opinions in this very moment about Jesus is that he is a great moral teacher, but he is not God. And really the argument that C.S. Lewis is making here is that when it comes to the person of Jesus, you really only have three choices. Perhaps you've heard this argument before. He says that either Jesus is a liar because he claimed to be something that he was not. He is a lunatic because he actually believes that he is something that he is not. Or in his words, however unlikely it may be that he is Lord. When it comes to the person of Jesus, he would argue those are the only three choices. He is liar, lunatic, or Lord. And I don't know what you think about the person of Jesus, but what I do know is that you and I, if we get this wrong, it matters not just now, not just for this moment, but it matters for all of eternity. Who is this man? And so in the coming weeks, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna spend some time studying the book of John to discover some of the specific claims that Jesus made about himself. We're actually gonna look at Jesus in his own words. Specifically, we're gonna examine a series of I am statements that Jesus makes throughout the gospel of John. And these statements are intended to clarify for his audience who he, who he is and what he's all about. And so the first I am statement in the book of John happens in John chapter six. We're gonna read it today. Now, you are likely familiar with some of the events that happen in John chapter six. 
If you haven't looked at this passage of scripture in a while, let me just remind you, this is the same moment in which Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? So this is a moment in the life and ministry of Jesus where the crowds have begun to gather. They, they follow Jesus around. People are interested in who he is and what he's capable of. And one day the Bible tells us that he sits down to teach them. And, and as he starts his teaching, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, these people are hungry. And so Jesus just literally takes a boy's like sack lunch, you know, blesses it, multiplies it and feeds everyone. And now that everyone is full and satisfied, then he, he can teach. In the very next kind of moment in that passage of scripture, Jesus is walking on water out to the disciples. And all of that brings us kind of towards the end of John chapter six, where Jesus has, has gone off. He's gone away from the crowd and the crowds are looking for Jesus. And I, I just got to tell you, I believe people are looking for Jesus. We see it in John chapter six, but it's true today. People are looking for Jesus. And, and when the crowd finally arrives to where he is, they're like, Jesus, where, where did you go? And he says something really incredible in John chapter six. And to be honest with you, he calls them out a little bit. Here's what he says about the crowd in John chapter six, verse 26. He says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. So, so let's just think about this for a moment, right? All of these people have been around Jesus. They're listening to Jesus. They've watched him perform miracles. They have their bellies full and they wake up the next morning and they're hungry. And so they're like, where's Jesus? And they go looking for him. And when they finally find him, he's like, I, I gotta tell you guys the truth. Listen to me. You follow me, not because of who I am, but because of what I did for you. He says, you follow me because I gave you your fill, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Now, I have to imagine that probably hurt a little bit. When he said, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you know who I am. Jesus knows that these crowds have, have only begun to gather because of what he's capable of, not because he's the Christ. See, they want the signs, they want the wonders, they want to see the miraculous. They don't want Jesus. They want what he can do for them. In fact, they're more concerned about his power than his presence. And if we're honest, if we could just be self-reflective for a second this morning, unfortunately, that can actually be true of us today. Because sometimes if we're honest, even as followers of Jesus, we want what's in Jesus's hands, but not what's in his heart. Sometimes we're more concerned with the power than the presence. Sometimes we want our fill, but we don't necessarily want Jesus himself. And that's a problem because if we read this passage of scripture, what we see is that these people, the ones who follow Jesus because they got their fill, they actually don't even stick around. The conversation continues. And these people, they continue to demand a sign from Jesus. They're like, if you're God, prove it to us. You know, like perform a miracle, do another sign. They, they actually continue to demand that Jesus fill them and, and feed their bellies. And what we see in this passage of scripture is incredible because they even taunt him a little bit. They're like, well, well, Moses gave our ancestors manna in the wilderness. So what about you, Jesus? What can you do? And they want him to perform a sign and prove, demonstrate who he is. And so Jesus responds to them. He says this, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now 
he offers you something better. Now my father offers you the true bread from heaven. And here it is. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And their first response is really interesting because they're like, yeah, who wouldn't give us that? That sounds awesome. And, And so they say, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied to them and said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me can never be thirsty. Now, before we can understand what Jesus claims he can do, we have to understand what Jesus claims he is. Now, the words I am, when we read this passage of scripture, they may not mean a whole lot to us today, but for his first century, primarily Jewish audience, these words carry great significance. They carry great meaning because what Jesus is doing here is actually claiming to be God. Now, there are those who would say, as they read the words of Jesus, that he never claims to be God, right? But actually, that ignores history because Jesus makes a statement here that would have left no doubt in his audience's mind what he was saying. He says, I am the bread of life. And for his listeners, it would have brought their minds all the way back to the book of Exodus. Now remember, these people that Jesus is speaking to now, they've already brought up Moses to him, okay? So they know their history. So when Jesus says, I am, it would have brought their minds back to the moment in their, in their history where Moses had an encounter with God in a bush that was burned, but it was not consumed. It was there on that holy ground where God had spoken to their ancestor, Moses, clearly. And what did he say? He said, I am. I am the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob, okay? This is the very same conversation in which God calls Moses to free his people from slavery in Egypt, right? And lead them to the promised land. And Moses, you might remember, he's got some hesitation, about that calling, about what God asked him to do. And he's like, well, well Lord, on, on whose authority? Like, who should I tell them sent me? And he says, tell them I am sent you. He, he actually tells Moses in this passage of scripture, my name is I am. And so when Jesus uses this exact same phrase to all of these people, he says, I am the bread of life. He's not only using the same language, but he's using the same authority with which God spoke to their people before. And so in their minds, there would literally be no doubt that Jesus here is claiming to be God. In fact, all throughout the Gospel of John, the pattern is this. Jesus makes a claim about himself or he performs a miracle And then the people get frustrated. There's opposition to Jesus because of what he said or did. And the people are forced to make a choice about who they believe Jesus to be. So the very reason in the Gospel of John that people are so offended, the very reason that they want to put Jesus to death is because he's claiming to be God. If he wasn't, they would have had no reason to kill him. So Jesus here, it leaves no question, he is claiming to be God. Okay, so now that we understand who Jesus claims he is, we can actually understand what he claims to offer, right? So he makes this statement, I am the bread of life. And anyone who hungers 
Anyone who believes in me will never hunger. Anyone who believes in me will never thirst. And so here's what he's actually saying to the people that day. He's saying the bread of life is the only thing that can save you. One of the things that we understand from this entire passage of scripture, one of the claims that Jesus is making, he's saying, I'm the bread of life. And the truth is the bread of life is the only thing that can save you. He actually says in this passage of scripture, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So what does that mean? Well, if you want to have eternal life, there is only one source for it. It's found in the person and work of Jesus. And and he's letting them know that in the same way bread on this earth gives you temporary life, I am bread from heaven that will give you eternal life. And so he's saying the bread of life is the only thing that can save you. They even ask him in this passage of scripture, they say like, we want that. What, what must we do? What work must we do? And he says, the only thing you can do to receive this is belief. That's it. The only work that you must do is belief. In fact, it is a theme all throughout the gospel of John, belief. The author of the Gospel of John makes it actually really clear. He says the purpose of writing down all of these things is so that the reader might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and by believing have life in his name. So Jesus makes all of these claims and demonstrates the validity of his claims through the power to perform the miraculous. Why? All for belief. The point is belief. What do you believe about who Jesus is? And so again, that pattern is that Jesus would make a claim and then it leaves us, the audience, the reader going, who, who is this man? And if we believe that Jesus is the son of God, as he has just claimed to be, then we too can have eternal life. Let let me just be clear because you can never hear it enough. But Jesus Christ is the son of God who who stepped out of heaven and into history. Now, when I say God, I mean that he was there in the beginning, that all things were made by him and through him, the same God who spoke heaven into existence, the same God who hung stars in the sky, that same God stepped out of heaven and into history in the person of Jesus. And the only way that you and I can be in right relationship with God is if we believe in Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he died for our sins, that he rose again. And in believing that, we too can have eternal life. See, this is important because the bread of life is the only thing that can save you. Nothing else can do it. And so if we want eternal life, then we need the bread from heaven. That is Jesus. But not only that, the bread of life is the only thing that can save you, but we also need to understand this. The bread of life is the only thing that can satisfy you. And this is actually different. It's actually different. Jesus doesn't offer himself to us as the bread of life just because he wants to save us. But in actuality, what Jesus is telling us through this claim is actually better because Jesus is the only thing, the bread of life is the only thing that can satisfy you. And, And here's why that matters. Because so many of us, we stumble around in this life searching for significance in things that were never meant to satisfy us. 
You, you can see the pattern in your life and my life and everybody else's life. What happens? We go from one thing to another thing, searching for something that we never seem to be able to find, right? So we bounce from relationship to relationship or we bounce from career opportunity to career opportunity. We go from thing to thing. We, we, we climb the corporate ladder. We get the promotion. We do all of those things. And what happens? It all turns up empty. It doesn't satisfy the, the deepest longings and desire of the human heart can never be satisfied by the things of this world. And one of the things that Jesus intends to communicate to us through this passage of scripture is that all of those things in this world that we would look to to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul, they all come up empty. We, we come up unfulfilled. We, we come up still longing, still looking. The things of this world are powerless to resolve the deepest desires and longings of the human heart. I know I've already quoted C.S. Lewis, so forgive me, but he said this. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. So you and I, we, we just go from thing to thing, searching for significance and things that were never meant to satisfy. And they come up empty. Why? Because you weren't made for this world. So the things of this world aren't gonna cut it. That's actually the only reason that Jesus can do this because he's not of this world. He's not from this world. So all created things can never satisfy you. But Jesus is the only thing that can offer a solution to this problem. The searching, the longing, the running of the human heart. Jesus is the only solution, why? Because he is not of this world, but he comes into this world and he makes himself available to us. And in that relationship with Jesus, it is possible for us to be truly satisfied. Can I just tell you something this morning? It is possible for you to live a life in which you are entirely satisfied. It is possible for you to live a life in which you are entirely satisfied. Jesus actually wants us to understand that there is a supernatural satisfaction that can only come from a relationship with him. And apart from a deep and vibrant and passionate relationship with King Jesus, knowing who he is and what that means for our lives, we will always come up empty. The only way to be satisfied is for us to feast on the bread of life. And Jesus offers us himself. And if we have that relationship, it's entirely possible for you and I to live a life in which you would be completely satisfied. So the bread of life can save you. It's the only thing. Bread of life is the only thing that can satisfy you. And I would also want to tell you this. The bread of life is the only thing that can sustain you. It's the only thing that can sustain you. Jesus makes the comparison here to the manna that the Israelites ate in the wilderness. He said, they ate that and they still died. They ate that and they were still hungry. If you go back to that passage of scripture, God would give them just enough for every day, right? And so what happens? You eat it and four hours later or four minutes later, in my case, you're hungry, right? You, you, when you eat, you will be hungry again. When you drink, you will be thirsty again. But Jesus here is offering something that is not like this world. He's actually saying, I can offer you something better, right? I can offer you something different, right? Because the things of this world are, they're a temporary fix at best. Just like hunger, you eat, it's a temporary fix. 
you're gonna get hungry again. Drink, it's a temporary fix, it's gonna get hungry again. That, that's actually why in this life, man, the, the gateway, the doorway to the bondage of addiction is so strong and so powerful because what are we doing? We're, we're looking for things that will satisfy us in a moment. It's a temporary fix. It's a quick hit. Jesus actually says something in this passage of scripture. He's going, I'm not like anything else. This, this is different because what can, I can offer you will actually sustain you. What, what I can offer you is not a quick hit. It's not a temporary fix. No, but this is actually meant to last. And so Jesus offers them something that if they learn to feast on the bread of life, they can be sustained. And, and really what he's saying is that these truths about Jesus, who he is claiming to be, these truths, they will change your life if you let them. I don't know about you, but I wanna be saved. I wanna be satisfied. I wanna be sustained. And Jesus is saying, there's only one place. It's the bread of life. Now to me, what is perhaps even a little bit more interesting than the claims that Jesus makes is the response that he gets. When he makes the statement, I'm the bread of life. Anyone who eats of me will never hunger. Anyone who drinks of me will never be thirsty, right? The, the responses that he gets in this passage of scripture they're important for us to recognize. The first one is this. The first reaction is that some people complain about Jesus. Literally, when he makes this statement, I'm the bread of life, anyone who eats of me will never hunger, anyone who drinks of me will never be thirsty. When he makes this statement, the first reaction of the people is that they begin to complain. They begin to grumble. They're like, who, is, who does this guy think he is? How, how can Jesus possibly tell me how to live my life, right? Who, how could he even claim to be from heaven? I know his parents, it's Mary and Joseph. Who is this guy? And so they immediately start to complain about the things that Jesus is saying. And I love Jesus's response to them. In verse 43, here's what he says. But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. Simple. It, it, stop complaining about what I said. Some of us, guys, if I'm just being honest today, some of us just need that one verse. <laughs> stop complaining about what Jesus said, right? Because Jesus here, he makes these claims and get it, like picture it, they've been following Jesus. They like Jesus because he's been feeding them. They're like, yeah, I could follow this guy around. But as soon as the handout starts, stops coming and he's like, hey, I'm gonna teach you some things and you may not love all that I have to say. As soon as it starts to get uncomfortable for him, they're like, what, who does this guy think he is? But that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I think a lot of times, like when it gets hard or we read something in the Bible we don't like, we're like, who does this guy think he is? Why does Jesus get to tell me how to live my life? And the first response that we see in this passage of scripture is some people, they, just, they complain about Jesus. That's one of the reactions that, that he gets. I think a lot of times we complain about Jesus. Most people complain about Christians, but that's another message for another day. But sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes we complain about Jesus. There's another reaction in this passage of scripture though. Some people are complaining. Others, they're just confused by Jesus. The Bible actually says it this way. Many of his disciples said to him, this is very hard. How can anyone accept it? Now, I, I wanna point out a word to you in that passage of scripture. It says many of his what? Disciples. So these are actual followers of Jesus, students, 
of Jesus, okay? It's not just the crowd. These are people who are following Jesus. And when Jesus starts to tell them that he's the bread of life, I'm the only thing that can save you. I'm the only thing that can satisfy you. I'm the only thing that can sustain you, right? The things that you have in this world, they're not enough. You need something out of this world. They're confused, right? And so they're like, this is very hard to understand. Who can possibly accept it? And I think the same is true today, right? There are times for each and every one of us where we might be confused about something that Jesus says or confused about who he claims to be. And that's okay, actually, but the complaining and the confusion, it leads to either one of two results. The first result that we see in this passage of scripture is this, people are casual about Jesus. People are casual about Jesus because they, you know, the, the complaining or the confusion has led them to a point, listen to me, where they, they just weren't willing to pay the price. Verse 66 says this, at this point, many of his, what? Disciples, they turned away and they deserted him. So Jesus is teaching them about who he is and about what he really offers them. And and when they hear this, right, some are complaining and and some are confused. And and the first place that that leads, the the complaining and the confusion leads them to a place where they're, they're casual about Jesus. And so what do they do? They're like, that's it, I'm out. This is hard. This is confusing. It's uncomfortable. I'm out. And they walk away from Jesus. Bible says they turn away and desert him. I don't want that to be said of any of us that are complaining or our confusion. It led us to a place where we were casual about Jesus. And when something got hard or difficult, or he said something we didn't like, we called it quits, but that's what happens here. And then, man, at the end of John chapter six, there is a moment that is so powerful and so beautiful that if we don't understand what happens in this two sentences at the end of the Gospel of John chapter six, we're we're gonna miss the point entirely. So all of these people who've been following Jesus, they're leaving now because of what he's saying, right? They're complaining, they're confused, so they're casual and they're just leaving. and, And I don't know what Jesus must have felt like in that moment, but I believe that Jesus had emotions and that can't have felt good, right? Think about moments in your life where the people who are around you turn their backs on you. Think about moments in your life where the people you thought were with you aren't really with you. You're like, man, they're not as with me as I thought they were. This has gotta be a hard moment for Jesus. And at the end of this passage of scripture in John chapter six, I think in what's just probably a moment of sheer humanity, Jesus, he he turns to the 12, right? Not just the disciples, they're there, but the 12, I mean, his people, his closest followers, the one who've walked with him and talked with him and seen every miracle, listened to every word, right? He turns to them and here's what he says. Are you going to leave too? I think sometimes we ignore the humanity of Jesus in these passages of scripture. Because if your friends bailed on you, you'd probably look at the people who are still standing around and go like, you too? And Simon Peter speaks up in this moment. And I I love this because Simon Peter, if you know, like he's normally the dude who gets it wrong. Like he says some stuff, you know, he puts his foot in his mouth all the time. But here, man, does he get it right. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom else would we go? Where, Where else would we turn? You alone have the words that give eternal life. 
Lord, to whom else would we go? Where else could we run? You alone have the words of eternal life. And what I love about this passage of scripture amongst many things is, is this. The Bible doesn't tell us that Peter wasn't confused. The Bible doesn't tell us that Peter didn't have complaints, but his complaining and his confusion didn't lead him to the place where he was casual and just gave up. Actually, he had a very different response. And it's a response that you and I can have as well because the truth is, if we're just being honest, few people are actually committed to Jesus. Like when it gets hard, when it gets tough, when we don't understand that we would still in those moments be able to understand that we don't have anywhere else to go. No one else offers what Jesus offers. And this is important, right? Because, because here's why, there are other places to run. There are other places to look. There are other things that you can go to, but at the end of the day, Jesus is the only one who has the words of eternal life, right? And Peter is saying like, Jesus, it's only you. It's only you that can satisfy us. It's only you that can save us. It's only you that can sustain us. And I might get confused and I might have complaints, but at the end of the day, where else am I gonna go? Where, who else could I turn to? You alone have the words of eternal life. I think this passage of scripture begs us to ask the question of ourselves. What kind of follower am I? What kind of follower am I? Am I a complaining follower? Confused one? Casual? Or like Peter, would we too be able to say, where else would we go? We're committed. You alone have the words of eternal life. What Peter is acknowledging here is not that you can't go to other places, but that Jesus is better. Jesus actually offers more and all the time and energy and effort we spend looking for significance and searching for that and things that were never meant to satisfy, it's all a waste. And at the end of the day, what you long for, what you hope for, what you need, it's only found in Jesus. Jesus is better, he's better. I want you to think about that statement, Jesus is better. It's 13 letters, it's three words, it's one sentence, but it'll change your life. Jesus is better better. You might ask, better than what? And the answer is yes. Jesus is better. He's better than everything else. Listen to me. He's better than any passing dream you might be chasing. He's better than any worldly ambition that might have your attention. He's better than anything that could distract you from doing what you were created to do. Jesus is better. He's better than a six-figure salary. He's better than a three-story home. He's better than a trophy wife, a job promotion, or a Caribbean cruise. Jesus is better. He's better than any person that has ever walked this earth. He's better than money, cars, entertainment, achievement, or popularity. He's the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the living water, and he's the bread of life. Jesus is better. But if you believe it, it's gonna cost you. You're gonna to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. You're gonna to have to help the poor and swallow your pride and love your enemies. 
You're going to have to read your Bible when you'd rather watch TV. You're going to have to pray when you'd rather be asleep. You're going to have to serve when you'd rather be served. And you're going to have to speak up when you would rather be silent. So my hope for us is not that we are safe or successful or well-liked. My prayer for us is that we are satisfied in Jesus because he is better. So here's what I wanna do together today. There's really only two responses to the message today. The first one would be this. You've never experienced a relationship with God through Jesus and the bread of life. He offers himself to you today. You can be saved and satisfied and sustained if you have a relationship with Jesus who forgives you for all your sins and invites you into a relationship with God. We're gonna pray that prayer together in just a second. But on the other side of that prayer, we're all gonna respond together by taking a moment to remind ourselves of who Jesus is in our lives. And we're gonna receive communion together across all of our locations. There is no better passage of scripture to actually reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus and remind ourselves of what he offers as the bread of life. So we're gonna receive communion together in just a moment. But if you're here at any one of our campus locations and you've never began a relationship with God through Jesus, today is your day, now is the moment. I wanna invite you everywhere. Just close your eyes with me, bow your heads with me for just a moment. And we're all gonna pray this prayer together. But if you're saying it for the very first time, you're gonna be just a little bit louder than everybody around you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we need you. Come into our lives. Forgive us of our sins make us new again. I thank you that you're the bread of life. I thank you that you died for my sin. I thank you that you rose again. And for the rest of my days, as best as I know how, I will live to honor you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together and everybody said, amen. Come on, can we celebrate? Thank you again for spending time with us today. If you're looking to take a step in discovering the more that God has in store for you, just text the word podcast to the number 441-441 and select the option that applies to you. And if you enjoyed this message, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. A special thanks to those of you who generously give to all that God is calling us to do together. It's because of you that everything that we do is possible. We'll see you right back here for next week's message.